Hey there, greetings everyone and welcome back to another episode of Plan B Success. We have Brian Clayton with us today, all the way from Nashville, Tennessee. Now Brian is working on and is the owner of an app which is called the Uber for Lawn Care. GreenPal is the name of the company, he's the CEO and the co-founder of the company and it's a mobile app that connects homeowners like you and me with local lawn care professionals. Now Brian has thousands of active users and he's done thousands of transactions on this as well. Before this, Brian also had another company, Peachtree, and that was the largest landscaping company in the state of Tennessee, and we'll hear about that also. So welcome, Brian. Thanks for having me on the show. It's great to be here. Awesome. So it looks like you've been there, done that in the lawn care business for a long time. So let's step, take a step back. You know, why don't you tell us in your own words, uh, you know, what you're all about? Yeah, so I've spent 22 years in uh, entrepreneurship in one industry. That's the lawn care and landscaping industry. I was actually forced into the business by my father on a hot summer day in the in the 1990s. He said, "Get off your butt, quit playing Nintendo. I've got a gig for you. You're going to go mow the neighbor's yard." And luckily, he did that because I remember how it felt. I I didn't want to go do this job, but I did it, and I made twenty dollars for one hour's work. And I thought, "Hey, this is pretty great." And I just stuck with this little lawn mowing business uh, all through high school, all through college. And over a 15-year period of time, ended up building one of the largest landscaping companies in the Southeast, uh, eventually getting it over like 150 employees and, and eight figures in revenue. And then in 2013, that business was acquired by one of the largest landscaping businesses in the United States. And so I, for over a 15-year period of time, took that business, just me and a push mower to me and like 80, 90 trucks and learned a lot, learned a lot about how to get a business going, how to, how to grow and scale a company. And, and when I sold it, I retired. I, I didn't have to work anymore, uh, which was nice, but I got bored very quickly and thought, well, what now? What should I do now? And I, I saw, took notice of what Uber and Airbnb and Lyft and some of these other technology-based companies were doing for making real-world experiences just as easy as pushing a button. And I thought, well, that needs to exist for, for lawn mowing. That needs to exist for this thing that I know. And, and luckily, it was a naivete as an asset. I didn't realize how difficult it was going to be to make the app that is the Uber for lawn mowing. But recruited two co-founders, and we got started on the project. And now here we are. We're, it's almost uh, nine years later. We're, we're a nine-year overnight success. Uh, we're nationwide in the United States, around 300,000 people using the app and, and doing over $20 million a year in revenue. And so... I spent 20 years in one industry. I think uh, looking backwards, uh, authenticity can be a competitive advantage. And that certainly has been the case for me. That's pretty awesome. So, you know, you started on the the blue collar side of it. That's uh, right. You know, in terms of actually going out there and and mowing lawns and you built a company doing it the hard way. And then you decided, okay, how do I bring tech into this this business? And that's where GreenPal happened. That's right. how familiar are you with technology or how familiar were you with technology when you, when you founded GreenPal? It's a great question because I had to navigate this transition from a blue collar, hand-to-hand combat style entrepreneur to a tech entrepreneur. And that was one that I didn't really understand how challenging that was going to be. I didn't know how to build software, didn't know how to design software. And, uh, and, I, and uh, so what we thought what we could do was we could just just outsource this stuff. We thought, well, you know, we don't know how to build software, but we can just pay a development shop 
to build what we think Green Pal should be, and then they'll build it, and then we'll market it, and we'll be off and going. And that's what we attempted to do. And, and we pulled together our money, like $150,000, and paid a dev shop to build what we thought Green Pal should be. Took them like nine months and uh, released it, and it was a total failure, total flop. It didn't have the features it needed. It, it was clunky. It was buggy. It, it didn't have uh, the experience that, that people were expecting. And, and we learned the lesson the hard way that if we were going to be in the technology business, we were going to have to learn how to, how to execute and build technology. Looking backwards, I mean, it's just as silly as wanting to start a restaurant maybe a five-star restaurant and not having a chef or not having any recipes. I mean, sure. You've got a great looking tablecloth and you got a great looking, uh, 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 dining hall, but you have no, you have no core, you have no recipes, you have no product. And that's kind of like how it was trying to outsource what we thought green pal should be. And, and so we went, we, we had to look ourselves in the mirror and, and had to really do a gut check and, and, and ask ourselves, how bad do we really want to do this? Because it's going to be a lot harder than we thought. And we were going to have to work in the business and on the business and on ourselves all at the same time. And it took about three years, but we, we learned how to build software, learned how to, I learned how to do front-end engineering, and my co-founder learned how to do back-end engineering. And between the three of us, we were able to hack together the first version. So it was, it, it was, uh, it was not impossible, but it was challenging. Awesome. So, you know, when people look at a business, you know, people and businesses are known when they become successful, right? So like you said, the nine-year uh, long overnight success story, right? Uh, that, that's, where the, that's what this was. So what are some of the lessons that you'd like entrepreneurs or wannabe entrepreneurs to open their eyes to when they go into, you know, they're looking at a success story and then that's what inspires them to go and do something. But they got to be prepared for the ups and downs as well. So what would you say are some of the challenges that you faced that you could uncover for them? Yeah, looking backwards for us, something that, that has just really worked is just focusing on one thing and sticking with it for a long time. And I think a lot of a, a trap that a lot of new entrepreneurs fall into is they get, they get the bright, shiny object syndrome and they want to go from thing to thing and, and don't really spend enough time on one thing. And so there's this weird kind of dichotomy in entrepreneurship of this kind of persistent flexibility where you have to be uh, flexible in terms of, of your approach, but you have to be persistent in, in one kind of mission almost. And I, I think a lot of entrepreneurs kind of give up too quickly and they, and, the, and they get romanticized by this idea of the pivot that you can kind of just pivot your way to success and, and, and avoid the really, really hard work in doing that. And the reality is, is that's not how it works. It's, it's usually five or 10 years focused on one problem and one solution and making that better and better and better. Now, on the other hand, you can't just waste a decade on a bad idea. You have to recognize uh, when something is not working and, and truly not working and it, there, there is no there there and you have to move on to the next thing. So it's a balance between those two. You know, the, the thing is, it's like, Every, every startup, every success uh, gets told that it's a stupid idea in the beginning. People told us that Green Pal is a stupid idea. Now, you know, now we're, we're nationwide with hundreds of thousands of users. So every, every startup gets told that they're a stupid idea. The, the problem is so do the stupid ideas. And so it's like you have to know, you have to know when, when it's time to move on and you have to know when it's time just to give this thing a decade. And that's tough. Um, but for us looking backwards, you know, 
that was the that's kind of been our competitive advantage is that we have focused on one chore, one thing, making lawn mowing and ordering lawn mowing services as easy as pushing a button, making it quicker, faster, cheaper, smoother, more reliable. And we haven't really done much else in a decade. And that's really what it has taken to, to build this experience. And now we're the industry leader. You know, you've built companies from scratch, you know, in both the times. How much was uh, investments? How focused were you on getting investments before you began? Or how did you build these companies? Were they bootstrapped? Great question. The first business was completely self-funded. Um, I, you know, luckily and by, by chance in the early days of running this lawn mowing business, uh, I, I listened to talk radio all day. So I had these headsets kind of like this and, and, uh, sandwiched between two shows I liked was Dave Ramsey. And so every day I'm hooked onto the Dave Ramsey Kool-Aid of, of not using debt of, building a business off of its own revenues off of off of saving up cash to buy the assets you need to grow a company and that's how i built the first company um hated dave ramsey at first but over the course of about three years i was indoctrinated into his into his style of of finance and so that was was foundational to how i built that first company and grew it uh, over over eight million a year in revenue and and uh, debt-free. And so when it was time to sell that business, the balance sheet was super clean. We had no liabilities, no debts. And it was a very, not an easy transaction, but it, it was kind of the thing that made the transaction possible. Whereas a lot of my competitors in that industry, they might've had a $5 million landscaping conglomerate, but they also had like $4.5 million in debt. And in that kind of mid-market acquisition, you as the owner assume that debt. They don't take that debt. And so it's almost like you don't have anything of value because you could sell it for this, but then you got to turn around and pay off all of these loans. And, and so that kind of strategy is the thing that got me through building that business from zero and selling it uh, for multiple seven figures was that it was debt-free. Fast forward to the second company, I didn't want to like go that hardcore. Like I knew that I couldn't like take that same approach, but in the same vein, I, I just wasn't ever drawn towards the idea of raising outside capital to build the company. And so most tech startups, that's the first thing they do almost even before they have a product, they'll, they'll rush out and they'll, they'll take six months or a year and they'll just beg angel investors to write them $50,000 checks and try to pull together a half million or a million dollars and to, to get the company going. And in many cases, that, that, that is table stakes and that's required. But for me, I saw an opportunity for us just to build the business, make a little bit of money and put that money back to work and rinse and repeat and do that over and over again. And I really felt like building the business and funding it off of its own revenues was a better long-term bet than going and raising a bunch of outside capital. And, and quickly, that was validated all around me because in the... 2014, 15, 16 kind of time frame, there was this gold rush of the Uber for X idea. So Uber for car washing, Uber for laundry service, Uber for valet parking, you name it. Like every single like modern, like, like every single like chore and convenience you could imagine, people were trying to build an app to, to make it happen. And they were pouring hundreds of millions of dollars of venture capital on these ideas. And 95% of them were going out of business, like within 18 months. And I thought, man, you know, 
I don't know if that's a good bet for us. I think we should just continue to go slow and low. We made 10 grand last month. Let's try to make 20 next month and not really worry about anything else. And that's what we did. And, you know, now we're doing multiple eight figures in revenue. And it, and it, it turns out it was the right call because we've outlasted all of our, I guess you could say competitors and, and they've all gone out of business. And here we are, we've got a profitable business with, with three, three line items on the cap table, which is nice. It's, it's a good place to be, but it was tough to get here. It's, it's a lot harder to build a business. I think bootstrapping in many ways, because it's just, it's just very slow and, and, and grueling, but it, it, in my view, it's the better bet in most cases. So let's talk about the growth story of green pal, right? How do you build a business from zero revenues to eight figures? I think you just you look at it like a video game and you you really can't get, you know, if you're doing $2,000 a month in revenue, which is kind of where we started, you can't worry about eight figures. You know, you, you really just have to focus on getting to 10 and nothing else matters. And what are the things you got to do to get from 2K a month to 10K a month and don't even worry about anything else. And that's kind of what we did. We just, we, we, we broke it down into very, very, very small milestones and achieved those victories along the, uh, uh, achieved and celebrated those victories along the way. And, and the, the things you do to get from 2K a month to 10K a month are very different than the things you, you do to get from 100K a month to 500K a month. And you don't even worry about the distinction. You just worry about, okay, what level of the game metaphorically am I in? And let me just work my ass off on those things and nothing else. And so we, we started off passing door hangers out. Like we, we, needed, we needed 300 people to use the first product and so we could get feedback around that. And so that was the only lever we could pull. We, we didn't have a SEO strategy. We didn't have a, a, a paid marketing strategy. We, were, we just didn't have the resources to develop that stuff. But we could pass out door hangers. And so that's what we did. We passed out flyers all over Nashville, Tennessee uh, to, to hustle up our first few hundred customers. So then we could learn as much as we could around, okay, well, where do we need to work on to make the product better? How do you normally like hire a lawn mowing service? How do you normally find somebody? And, and, and what are the insights that we could use from that to bake into to a more scalable uh, customer acquisition strategy? Ultimately, we, we landed on, uh, Google organic search as the main channel that we were going to bet the company on. And, and we've spent a decade in that one channel. And I think if you are starting a business from scratch, you have to like bet the company on one, one channel of acquiring customers. You're going to have to be like the best in market at, at one method of getting them. And because the reality is you're not going to be good at Google ads, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, Google organic pay, you know, print TV, radio billboards. You're not going to be good at all these things at the same time out the gate. So you really kind of have to experiment in each of them and just bet the company on one of them. And that's how we did it. And, uh, it was really much a leap of faith in the early years, but, but we stuck with it. And, and now we have millions of visitors to our websites and, and, and in large part for free. So that's, that's a good place to be. Awesome. So what's the plan? Where do you go from here? All we really care about right now is getting the business to nine figures. We're, we're doing multiple eight figures. You know, I'm not a big five-year detailed plan guy. That's not my style. Um, my style is, is like to set one huge goal and then, and, then, and then on a weekly basis, what are the small things we need to be doing that kind of map against that big goal? And so the team is 
38, nine people now. Um, I'm probably a good leader all up to about a hundred. And then I probably get outside of my, my skill sets. Um, so, so my plan for running the business is get it to nine figures and to, and to continue to run it so long as I'm having fun, I'm having fun running it. Um, but I think every business goes through like three phases. Like there's like the startup, the grow up, and then the scale up. And, uh, we just kind of left the startup phase and we're in the grow up phase and I'm probably, uh, I'm probably, I probably have the skills to take us through the, the growth phase. And then once we get to the scale up phase, we'll probably have to get a professional CEO to come in. Um, but that's what the next probably five years looks like getting the business over nine figures and, and doing the things we've got to do to get there. In terms of, uh, other lines of, uh, service or other products, are you looking at anything else besides lawn mowing? It's a good question. It's a strategic question. Do you go wide or deep? Do you, do you really try to, because it's one we think about quite a bit now that we've achieved a little bit of scale in, in, in this one vertical, do we now try to like go after other things like home construction or pool service or, or a maid service, you know, anything that you can get done in the house. And I think for us, we're going to continue to go down this one vertical until we reach the end. And, and the reality is, is that while we're doing multiple eight figures a, a year in revenue, it's still like a, like a $90 billion industry. So we're still very much just scratching the surface in terms of being the default way you do this chore. So I don't think we've reached a point of diminishing returns on this one vertical. Um, now, while we do offer you know, on-demand, push a button, get the lawn mode, as part of the customer experience, they can get other services done. They can get shrub pruning, mulching, snow removal, gutter cleaning, other services that, that kind of dovetail into yard maintenance. But that's kind of where we stop. We, we, we don't, we don't want to try to go into other verticals just yet because there's just so much more opportunity in this one. And the other thing, the kind of trap that a lot of, a lot of, of these types of startups have fallen into is that you don't realize the, ho the house cleaner the pool guy and the lawn guy all have a million problems and they're all different. And you, you really can't build that end to end experience unless you're just focused on those million problems and solving as much of them, many of them as you can. It's hard to be the best in the world at, 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 at a lot of different things, particularly when you're, when you're self-funded and, and still relatively young. You know, uh, with green pal, when you look at the company and, and how far you've come, you've mentioned two things, consistency and sticking through it uh, no matter what. When, when you reflect back on both of your companies, uh, what was the lowest point? You know, there, were there ever any points where you were almost on the verge of giving up? Yeah, particularly in the early days on GreenPal, um, there was really one thing that kind of kept me in it was this kind of personal psychology thing that, I was always going to be working on my best idea. And that was just a default default setting. You're going to be working your butt off on one idea, your best idea. And I guess, fortunately for me, I'm not terribly creative. So green pal was my best idea still is my best idea. So uh, through a lot of those low points, it's just like, well, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, you're just going to be working on your best idea. And there was a lot of, there was a lot of, you know, punches to the stomach in the early days, particularly around just uh, one thing I was surprised about is like here, here, my two co-founders and I are, are working seven days a week, 
for hundreds of dollars. I mean, single hundreds of dollars, you know, this was all we could pay ourselves. And, and it just, how we just did not get any help from anybody. Like nobody, nobody gave a crap what we were doing. I remember one thing, like one of my best, one of my best friends, uh, you know, I was using a lawn mowing service and I was like, Hey man, I need you to use this crappy app I just built. So you can kind of give me feedback and let me know, you know, where we need to work on. He goes, yeah, you know, I would, but I really like my guy. <laughs> and I'm like, well, you're supposed to be my friend. Like, I'm like, I, I just, I was, I'm pouring my soul into this thing. You won't use it. And he's like, ah, you know, Karen really likes, likes our guy. And I don't want to like upset her. And, and so like, that was a reality check for me. It's like, wow, man, like you, to, to, to do one of these things, like really nobody gives a shit. Like you, you are going to have to, you're going to be on an Island for a very long time. So it was kind of like that benevolence between me and my co-founders that got us through uh, a lot of those hard, hard early years and, uh, and then also just the notion that, well, you know, you're not going to give up. So you might as well just keep grinding on this thing and, 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 and get it from 13 customers to 50. <laughs> That's what the early years felt like. Awesome. So where can people find this? Yeah. So anybody that doesn't want to mow your own yard, you just download Green Pal in the app store or the play store and you'll pop your address in, you'll get free quotes. If they look good, hire one of them and they come out and mow the yard for you. And if you like how they did, you just push a button and it's come out every week or every two weeks for the rest of the season and set it and forget it. You know, you mentioned 3,000 active users. So is that the users? What about uh, the, uh, the service providers? Yeah, because we really do have kind of two customers. So co consumers, we have several hundred thousand of them. And then of service providers, we have around 30,000 nationwide that use the app to pick up new business, to make, make extra money. To, and then, and then about 40% of them use it to run their entire lawn mowing business. So they don't do anything outside of GreenPal. GreenPal is their livelihood, which is really why what we do, what we do, we really want to offer folks that want to work hard in this industry, a way to make really good material income, meaningful income, and a kind of like an operating system for their business is, is, is how we've built it. You know, how do you market yourself to the service providers and how did you do it when you were really new? Yeah, most of these two-sided marketplaces are constrained on one side. And so most of the time, it's the side that's taking their wallet out is where you're constrained. So that's, that's kind of where we're constrained. We have enough service providers. And in fact, there's, there's like a waiting list in most markets. And we just need as many consumers to use it as possible. But um, in the early days, that was not the case. We very much had to pitch them and sell them. So, so going back to like the metaphorical levels of, of the video game, you know, level one was we, we, uh, we would cold call these folks and we realized that the only time we could get them on the phone was Sunday afternoons because that was like the only window of opportunity that they weren't on a mower. And we would just get on Craigslist and, and just cold call dial for dollars, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds every Sunday trying to pitch them on the idea to use green pal. It was free to sign up still is it's a pretty no brainer value proposition. The problem was back then the product was just so awful. And so one thing that we were able to do to kind of like bridge the gap was I would offer free coaching for free mentorship uh, to, to the first like thousand service providers as a way to like almost beg them to use my app. And then through that, I was able to focus on the consumer side. Let's get that buttoned up and then come back to the vendor side. 
And then, and then, so now we don't have to do a lot of those non-scalable things, but in the early days, it was very much a non-scalable approach to get, you know, enough of these folks to where you had liquidity to where, where, a, where a homeowner would get three or four quotes within a cu- couple of minutes. We very much had to kind of hand crank it in the early days. Is there like a validation process for the service providers? Yeah, there's, there's like three different tiers. So the first tier is we, 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 before they can sign up, they have to pass a credit card, a credit check, a bank check, an uh, uh, ID check. They have to have the proper equipment. They have to uh, uh, also provide some customer rec- recommendations, and we look at all that before they before they even get let on the platform. Then, uh, the first like two or three transactions they do on the platform make or break if they're going to get to continue to use the, the platform. If those three go really well and they get five star ratings and they show up on the day they're supposed to, they then get to the next level. If they don't, they're expelled. And then the third level um, is we constantly measure these 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 providers against um, three criteria. How often do they show up on time? Because as, as silly as that sounds, like the, the case of the disappearing lawn guy is like the main value proposition we solve for consumers. So do they show up on the day they're supposed to? And they have to hit a minimum threshold there. And then uh, do they get booked for a second or third lawn mowing? Because if nobody's booking them again, then they're not doing a very good job. And, and then the third thing is, is they have to re, uh, maintain a, a, qual, a star rating, uh, much like Uber drivers do. Um, what do people say about their services? Are they happy? If they're not, we, we, we downgrade or expel them out of the platform. And this is how we surface the best, most reliable lawn mowing services for homeowners to be able to hire them off the shelf. Is there a website associated with this as well? Yeah, greenpal.com. You just uh, pop that in your browser and, and you can order services from web or mobile app. All right, awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. Very inspiring what you've done once, but not just once, but twice. Uh, And uh, wish you the very best in 2022 as you look to grow your business. Before I let you go, one takeaway for the listeners, anything that you'd like to share. Well, yeah, first, let me say thanks for having me on. I I really, really appreciate it. And um, I guess one takeaway would be at times in entrepreneurship, you can feel like you missed it. You can feel like you waited too long. You can feel like, well, I missed cloud computing or I missed crypto or I missed the gig economy. I missed whatever it is. And the reality is, is that it always gets bigger. It's always going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And you didn't miss it. Like you need to get started now because if you look at just software, I mean, we're probably in year 20 of software and I would say software is going to be around for another hundred years. So we're very much still in the first or second inning. You didn't miss it. Get started, get in the game, put me in the game coach because only when you're in the game, can you win. And so that's what I would leave your listeners with. Awesome. Well, thank you very much and wish you the very best. My pleasure.